Uh, this morning, we're continuing in our series, part two of Famous. And if you missed last week, I encourage you, you can go to awakeningchurch.com to listen to that or watch it. Um, here's what we said last week by brief review is that uh, you will be famous for something by the closest someone's in your life. We all know that. We all get this. Uh, you're going to be famous for something. It may not be on the big screen or YouTube or what have you, but you're going to be famous for something by the closest someone's in your life. Whether it's your family, your friends, maybe it's your spouse, your kids. It might be um, those in, intentional relationships. You're going to be famous. So the question is, well, what do you want to be known for? Like, honestly, we live in such this fast-paced, hurried world that we fail often to stop and ask really big, life-directing questions. Because the truth of the matter is, is you get to choose and I get to choose. We get to determine what we'll be known for. The choices we make, the responses we have, determine how we'll be remembered and what we're known for. Um, one of the things that I just thought I'd start off this morning is let you know what we want to be known for as a community, as a church, like we as Awakening Church, those of us that call Awakening home, like this is what we want to be known for. And, and if you're a kid, I know what we're known for here. Like a, a, a little kid, we're known as the Bounce House Church, right? That's, that's what we're known for because we have bounce houses out there and that's great. And, you know, you, I don't know if you loved it. I did, but the Worship, like we don't, great worship, I hope we're known for great speaking, but that's not what we want to be known for. Even, even fantastic coffee and pastries, which that does like bless my heart. Um, I love coffee, but, but that's not what we want to be known for fundamentally. Here's what we as a church want to be known for. We want to be known for as a worshiping community. Circle that word community real quick, just because in our society, it's so individualistic. It's all about me. And, and the church is all about we. It's always about this community moving together. It's a, the picture is often a family or of a body, that we're one community, uh, passionate Jesus followers. Every time I preach or get up here, I simply want to impassion you, envision you to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus. How? So that you and I begin to walk by faith, that we're a voice of hope to those around us, and that we're fundamentally known by love. Because here's what Jesus said, right? John 13, 34. All the world will know you're my disciples. Why? Because you're love for one another. Now, that's what we want to be known for as a community. That's where we're headed and growing. What we're trying in our missional communities and on Sunday and in our service and all these sort of things. We want to be known as a worshiping community of passionate Jesus followers who take steps of faith because God is faithful. Or a voice of hope to hurting people around us and are known by how well we love others. This morning... I want to talk about, in the continuing the conversation of famous, but uh, shifting gears and talking about how do you discover your white hot why? Now try saying that five times fast. Your white hot why for your life. Um, Gail Hyatt said this, people lose their way when they lose their why. People lose their way for their life when they lose their why for their life. Uh, the reality is um, you only live once. 
And some of you have heard, the, many of you have heard the acronym YOLO, right? YOLO! <laughs> now, here's the problem with that. Every time I see it, I see YOLO, it is, it's people doing the stupidest things on the planet. And then it's hashtag YOLO. Like, YOLO, I'm jumping off this bridge without a bungee or whatever. You know, I don't know what it is, but they do the dumbest things. Like, I'm going to waste all of my investment for the future because I only live once and going to... Well, anyway, sorry, getting off on a tangent. But here's the reality we all know. You do only live once. It's a precious gift. And you're not promised tomorrow. And so, as a result... We have to really wrestle with not just what do you want to be known for, but add to that, what do you want to be known for and why? The why infuses your ordinary daily activity with meaning and purpose. Your why infuses your everyday activity of what you're doing when you're clear on a white hot why for your life. It's not that you change or adjust the what. It's the why behind it that brings passion. It's the why behind it that brings energy. It's the why behind it that fuels you in those activities. And so we got to ask the question, well, why? And the reality is, is people, yeah, lose their way when they lose their why. But here's what I often find as well, is people often don't have a big enough why to support the weight of their life. Right? Their, their why is so small. I want to be successful. I want to be upwardly mobile. I want to have that car and be in that house and have that girl and have this kind of family. And I'm not saying anything's bad with that. It just won't support the weight of your life. We've seen so many people who climbed the corporate ladder only to discover it was what? Leaning against the wrong wall. I've seen people in marriages and the why of their marriage is their kids. And then their kids leave the house and what happens? See, your why has to be big enough, strong enough to support the weight of your life. So let's start here. Would you just fill in this blank just for you? This is just kind of your whole deal. I exist to, how would you fill that in? I exist for. Now, church people and people who grew up in church, Sunday school people, they know the right answer. But let's talk about the real answer. Because <laughs> right answers only help when we actually really live them out. Um, and so I exist to work. I exist to pay off student loans. I exist to. Or maybe I exist for. I exist for fun. I exist for my friends. Oftentimes we see this in our society. I exist for myself. Moses is one of the greatest leaders Israel, uh, the people of Israel ever had. Famous, probably everyone has heard of Moses before. Um, 
We have one psalm that we know of that was penned by Moses. It's Psalm 90. Most scholars believe that Psalm 90 was written at the end of Moses' life. Uh, and some even believe that he was sitting atop Mount Ararat looking over into the promised land, the land that he wouldn't go into at the end of his life. And he lived this long, very successful life. And you see, Psalm 90 is this psalm with beautiful, rich theology that is a powerful description of how to go about life. And in it, he has this phrase. He says, teach us to number our days aright, O Lord, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. God, would you teach me to like literally count my days, like to number them out? Because in doing that, in contemplating the end, I'm not going to waste the now. See, so oftentimes we don't want to think about the end. And in fact, in our culture, we have an aversion to death. We want to we ignore it. And so as a result, we waste life. Oh, isn't it? What's, this? what's wasted on the youth? Huh? What? Oh, say it, say it. What's wasted on the youth? Youth, yeah. Because you live without a great understanding of the future. See, our culture, now I'm not making, so I'm not making any judgments. Please don't feel any guilt. But we so want to cover up and hide aging and that death is coming that we do whatever it takes to make ourselves look and stay young. You know, like 15, 20 years ago, Botox was just for celebrities. And now it's just really common. I mean, and our age friends, you know, as we're getting older, I have a lot of friends who Botox, you know. And, and it just strikes me as odd, and yet I understand it. And there's a part of us, by the way, is that if we fail to really think about the end, then we don't have to worry about how we're living in our daily now. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So I did it. I actually counted out your days. Um, I added them up. The average life expectancy in the U.S. is 80 years old. Now, no one's promised tomorrow, but, you know, if you're average, you're going to live till 80. And so if you're 15 years age, you have 23,725 days left on this planet. YOLO! There you go. Um, <laughs> So you have 23,725 days to live out your purpose, to leave a legacy, and to live a life filled with meaning. Okay, 23,725 days. Now, if you're 20, we got some 20-year-olds in here, uh, you just lost 1,825 days. Okay, so you only have 21,900 days to live out on this planet Earth, and then 25, woo, 20,075 days, and then 30, do we have any 30-year-olds in here? Raise your hand, okay. 18,000, see, that's what happens when you get older. You can't even talk anymore. You just got to raise your hands. I'm just letting you know. Uh, that's what happens. 18,250, 40, we got any 40-year-olds in here? Not one in their 40s? 
Yeah, be, be like in your 40s. Anybody proud of 14,000? No one's proud of being in their 40s, you know. They, they say that 40s, my brother, uh, he's 42 now. When he hit 40, he, did, he, he was uh, looking this up, and he said 40s is your lowest point. Like uh, in life, you have a reverse U-curve that you start really happy, and then you get to your 40s, and then you're not happy, and then you realize, oh, I have the rest of my life, and you kind of settle with that you're going to die. And so then, you're, <laughs> then you go back up. That's why they didn't cheer, by the way. I'm just letting you know. I'm helping the front row. Okay, guys? <laughs> hey, if you're in your 50s, anybody? Yeah, yeah see, I knew they were going to show up. I knew they were going to show up. You only have 10,950 days left. I'm sorry. I am so sorry. If you're in your 60s, 7,300 days. 70s, 3,650 days. And if you're in your 80s, well, okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Think about this. Life. You have this precious gift. And you're not promised tomorrow. So let me ask you this. Is the why for your life white hot? Will your why sustain you for a lifetime? I mean, is it? Where you realize, I have limited days. And tomorrow's not promised. And so I long to live my life with meaning and purpose. I long to step into who God made me to be and live it out every single day of my life with the passion and vision for my life. You know, um, Jesus had a white hot why for his life. Jesus only lived 33 years. He didn't make it to 80 30 of those years was in obscurity, in preparation, learning the family trade of carpentry and supporting his family. Three of those years was public ministry. In three years, he called 12, he sent out 72, he taught to the masses. In those three years, a revolution hit our planet because he had a singular focus and a white hot why for his life. In Luke chapter 19, he unpacks like Jesus's purpose on the planet. He tells us why he's here, why the God of the universe became human and visited the planet Earth. It says this. It says, for the Son of Man came. Hey, this, this is why God came. This is why God became a baby in a manger. This is why God walked the dirt, <coughs> suffered at the hands of his creation. This is why, you want to know why? For the Son of Man came to seek, to pursue, to run after, and save the lost. Jesus' white hot why for his life. He said, the reason I'm here is I'm running after those who have run away from me. I'm here to bring those who are far from God, who don't think they have a shot in hell to be close to God. And I'm coming to say, guess what? I've overcome hell so that you can be close to me. This is why Jesus came. He came to reunite humanity to their heavenly Father to infuse meaning and purpose. He says, this is why I came. Don't miss it. And here's the reason he's saying this, by the way. 
Because when Jesus was living out his white hot why, he was often misunderstood. People didn't get it. By the way, if you're a follower of Jesus and you start to live out your white hot why, chances are you'll get misunderstood as well. When you're so clear on your white hot why, it gives you clarity for today. It helps you know the what's you should step into, especially the hard what's. It helps you have the courage to face things even in the face of criticism. Like you stand up for that because it's right, because you're clear on the why for your life. Notice what happens in Jesus. I love this. If you got your Bibles, you can open them up to Luke 19. Because here's, here's the context. Here's the backstory for Jesus' white hot why for his life. This is so good. It says, Jesus entered Jericho. Now, Jericho is 17 miles away from Jerusalem. He's on his way. And here's what he's doing. And was passing through. That means he's just on his way. It's like your destination as you're traveling. It might be a bathroom stop, but you're not going to stay there, right? You're not staying over the night. I'm just passing through. Hello. Um, there's a lot of places on the five between here and L.A. You just pass through, right? You just kind of keep going through. You may stop there for lunch, but you're not planning on staying. And Jesus was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and wealthy. Now, we don't much like tax collectors in our day either, but when you put it in this context, Zacchaeus who is a Jewish man, is working for the Roman authority. He had abandoned and deserted his Jewish brothers and now is taxing them and exploiting them. And he got so good at it that he has minions now who work for him because he's the chief tax collector and he's exploiting his own people for his personal gain. And I just was thinking about, well, what would that be like in our world today? It'd be like a CEO, you know, that begins to build a company and begins to exploit others. I was thinking of, you know, a pharmaceutical company that all of a sudden jacks their price because they have something and then they're able to mistreat others and withhold goods and all to their own gain. And you know the feelings you feel towards someone who does that. You know the anger that you feel, the hatred. That's who this man was. Hmm. Now listen to this. He wanted to see who Jesus was. And being very and being a short man. In fact, he was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up on a sycamore tree just so he could I you know what I love there is is it took a little bit of a while. It's kind of like, see, 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 see. Yeah, no, 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 that's the right answer. It's not Jesus' this time. It's see. I got it. Okay. Because the crowd. Now think about this. Jesus is just swarmed with people as he enters into this city. And they're surrounding him. And you have the most hated, despised man Probably not just in Jericho, but in the vicinity, in the region. And so he runs ahead of the crowd, climbs up a tree. 
And now listen to this. When Jesus reached the spot, I love this, he looked up and said, the crowd's pressing in, people all around, person who probably deserved the least in that town for Jesus to look up and see is hanging in a tree. And what a peculiar sight that must have been in and of itself. Hello, man, you're up in a tree. What are you doing up there? But here's what I love is when Jesus says to, like, saw him, he says, Zacchaeus. Now, we don't know how Jesus knew his name. Maybe he pulled, you know, the son of God trick. Like, boom, I know you're Zacchaeus. I know your name. That can happen, sure. I think is because he was that well known that he wasn't, you know, what are you famous for? He wasn't famous. He was infamous. Some of you know the three amigos. Thank you very much. And he knew his name. Now notice this, this is, you don't miss this. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. I must stay. Hang on, Jesus, you're just passing through. You were just on your way to Jerusalem. You were going somewhere else. And all of a sudden, you see the most hated, despised man. And you look up and see him in a tree because he just wants a glimpse of you. And you say, hang on, hang on, I'm stopping I'm stopping the direction that I'm going, and I have to stay at your house. See, because when you begin to respond to God, he responds immediately back to you. Hmm. All the people, it says next. By the way, this town had only one thing in common. Everyone could agree on one thing, is how much they hated Zacchaeus. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. You know, sometimes I think that we have two categories of people. And we see the downtrodden. We see the, the people where they've experienced the injustice. And, and our hearts can empathize and hurt and, and really be moved there. And then there's the people that seem to have it all because they took it all from people. The people you look at and you wish you had their life, but you wouldn't say that out loud because you don't like how they got what they had. The people who live the way they want and seems, it seems like life works out for them. You know, they're the people that seem so far from God that you've lost all hope. Like you, you thought, man, there's no way they would ever want to know God. There's no way. Look at all that they have. Or you just kind of give up on. They're the kind of people that when they get what they deserve, you feel good about it. And Jesus saw him wealthy and saw his, incline, his inclination to move towards Jesus. And he says, by the way, I must stop. And everyone else around doesn't get it. And everyone else around doesn't understand. And everyone else, it just pisses people off. 
Jesus was clear on his white hot line. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, if, (laughs) if, should be since Zacchaeus, I will pay back four times the amount. And it is in this place that Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Here's why. This is Jesus' white hot wife. For the son of man came to seek and to save those that were lost. Those that are far from God. Those that everyone gave up on. He said, I'm pursuing. And by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus, just kind of think that out. Follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. So like whatever Jesus' white hot why is, that's our white hot why. Because why? We follow Jesus. You were created, I was created to know God and then to make him known. Like, that's what we're put on this planet for. And so oftentimes we stop with just knowing God and feel good about ourselves. And like in the Christian world, we go us for and no more. And you stop short. There's a white hot why to make him known. Because followers of Jesus. Man, whatever it was on his heart should be on my heart. My son, uh, Ryder, loves the Cowboys. I mean, loves the Cowboys. I mean, got to pray for Tony Romo's healing. Um, Des Bryant, man, he had a rough game last week, but he's coming back. Zeke, man, we love Zeke. You know why Ryder loves the Cowboys? Literally, someone in the first service said no. I'm like, Because his dad loves the Cowboys. He loves the Cowboys. He is passionate about the Cowboys because his dad loves the Cowboys. That's why he loves the Cowboys. In fact, when we're watching sports, like yesterday I was watching a little bit of college football, he'll walk into the room, not know who's playing, and here's the question he asks. Dad, who are we rooting for? Who are we rooting for? I don't know who's playing, and it doesn't even matter. I just want to know who you're rooting for, and whoever you're rooting for, I'm rooting for, because I'm your kid, and I want to be like you, and whatever you like, I'm going to like, and whatever you're after, I'm going to be after. Who are we rooting for? Hmm. Come on. Come on. Listen. We are called. Whatever is on the heart of our Heavenly Father, we go, okay, okay. God, who are you rooting for? He was rooting for Zacchaeus. He walked into town and throngs of people and the person least likely ever, ever to respond. And he sees him respond and climb in his tree. And Jesus says, my heart just moves to you. I was going to pass through, but now I'm stopping because I'm rooting for you. 
Because I came for you. Because you're on my heart. And then we just go as his kids, as his kids, we go, whatever's on your heart is on my heart. Whatever you're chasing after is on, I want to chase after. Whatever your white hot why is going to be my hot why. Why? Because I'm your kid. Who are you rooting for? God, seek and save that which is lost. I'm rooting for the downtrodden for sure. And I'm rooting for the people who I don't think deserve it. In my heart, God, would my heart break for the things that break your heart, that I would walk into the heavenly court and go, God, who are you rooting for? Just go, God. White hot Why? Jesus says, I came for one purpose, to pursue those that are far, far, far from me. Um, we, this is why we do missional communities, by the way. It makes it so confusing that we named them missional communities because nobody knows what we mean. <laughs> does. It's just stupid. Everyone's like, what is missional communities? I'm like, oh, we should have named it something clearer. Small groups, life groups, community groups. But here's the deal. We said when we started this church four years ago, we're going to exist not for ourselves. We're going to exist for who's not here yet. We're going to exist for those that Jesus is pursuing. And so we're going to make sure that we organize our, our, even our communities and say, what would it look like to live on mission? What would it look like to, yeah, that great commission, right? Jesus said, now, now that I'm leaving, I'm passing the torch to you. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So now you go. You go. That's why I want everybody in a missional community. You'd gather with a group of four, five, six, seven, eight, ten people, and you would learn what it means to walk in the way of your master. But then you would also go, okay, I'm going to live out my white, hot why to my world. See, you're uniquely gifted. Your personality, where you've been put and placed, your work, your neighborhood, to live out. And all the what's, all the daily activities says infuse it with your white, hot why. Maybe you travel a lot. Great. Now God's taking you. You're a traveling missionary. You're an itinerant preacher. You are. Maybe you hate your job. Even better. Think about how much glory God could get through you as a testimony by living and treating other people great, even when your boss is a jerk. Wow, that will give God incredible glory. And they ask you why? Because I have a Savior who loves everyone. And I'm working for a Zacchaeus. And I'm trusting that one day he's going to be galled down from the tree and he's going to experience new life. And that's what I'm going after so I can endure in this moment. I think sometimes for those of us who've been in the church, we forget the power of the gospel. I said this last week that sometimes we want information. Uh, a lot of times we want information for a better life. And so we just start to collect information. The gospel is this, that Jesus brings transformation for a brand new life same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you. That you can be the minister of Christ to the world around you. You're fully equipped and empowered, not because you learned a lot of things. That's important. But the spirit of God lives in you. 
Last week we celebrated baptisms. It's, there's nothing that pictures better our vision of awakening this generation to new life and transformation than baptisms. And we always have whoever does the baptisms um, are the people who were integral in uh, either leading them to Christ or a part of their life. And a couple reasons. One, we want to show that this isn't like, hey, this is the pastor's job. Every single person in this room who's a follower of Jesus is a fully ordained minister of the gospel to bring hope and life and peace. That is who you're called to be. And so we want to show that when we do baptism. And I don't want them to miss out on the joy of getting to be in the water when someone publicly professes their faith. Man, that's my favorite moment as a pastor. How could I keep that to myself? And so I want you to just remind you of the power of the gospel. Last week, Sarah got baptized And she shared a bit of her story, and I asked if I could share her story. We ask everyone who gets baptized um, to write it out. And so I'm going to just read what she wrote. It brought me to tears reading her story. But I want you to hear the power of Jesus to transform life. And then to go, you know what, that's that's what I want to be about. That's what I want to give my life to. That's the why that will sustain the weight of my life. That's it. Hello. It's me. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. I I couldn't help it. It just came out. I'm so sorry. It's in the moment. Oh, geez. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. Bring it back. We're back. We're back. My name is Sarah. And I'm a believer in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I thank God for another unpromised day. I love that, by the way. And I ask, Lord, please don't take me anytime soon because I know you have a purpose for me. So here I stand before you today to confess my undying love for Jesus. I was first introduced to Jesus as a little girl of two years age. I can remember saying, hallelujah, as the pastor would speak. On that particular day, he said out loud to the congregation, Bless that child, Lord. There's something special about her. At least that's what my mother told me anyways. At that time, we were living in San Diego, attending Horizon Christian Fellowship. My mother was 17 years old and married to my father, who I was told was 21 years old. He was never around. I have hardly any childhood memories of him. You can say that's where my abandonment issues began. Way young. My mother remarried again to my first stepfather, and my mother bore her first son to him. During my mother's pregnancy with my new baby brother, uh, oh, sorry, this man knew the Bible like the back of his hand and was, quote, a godly man. So mother felt that God had sent him to us. During my mother's pregnancy with my new baby brother, which I was so very excited about, my stepfather started sexually abusing me forcing a four-year-old girl to do things she should never even know about at that age, let alone have to do. Demons were around me big time. My God, but God has always, uh, was always there, and I knew this. I told my mother of this, and right away she called the authorities. My stepfather would threaten uh, 
me with killing my new baby brother and my mommy. So when CPS came out to talk with me, I was scared and said, no, he wasn't doing anything to me. Second time came around of me telling my mother, she again called the authorities. This time they made him leave the house, so I wasn't scared. And then it all came out. The place that he did it, um, how he did it. My mother pressed charges and divorced him. He admitted to doing it and tried to blame it on my mother. He unfortunately was only given six months in jail. A few years later, my mother married a neighbor friend of ours by the name of Warren. They had three more kids together, Matthew, Zach, and Natasha. Being a big sister is one of the best things in my life. Having had a few father figures in my life, I was left feeling insecure because none of them gave me what I deserve as a child, unfortunately. The love, attention, affection, and guidance that a little girl needs and deserves. There are so many other kids like myself with so many issues like mine. We are, we are like lost little sheep. Jesus always in the background telling me he loves me and everything's going to be okay. So that being said, I got into drugs at the age of 14, meth, pot, etc. My parents did their best, but dad was always busy working or being in the other three kids' lives. And my mom was busy raising the babies too. So I was left on my, to my own demise. Drugs, uh, hang on, sorry. Drugs, boys, sex, and running away became a norm. I stopped going to church and participating in youth groups quickly on a downward spiral. Fast forward into my 20s, which flew by. I had a few miscarriages and experienced the death of my very, very best friend, Nikki, in 2010. That year, I also met my love, Dale. We have been together ever since. In 2013, we got pregnant with our daughter, Nikki, whom we named after my best friend. Well, God had other plans for our beloved baby, Nikki, and he took her from us. I would not wish that one tragedy for my worst enemy. I wanted to die but I didn't have the guts to kill myself. I found the next best thing, heroin. Heroin became my love, my best friend, my go-to for everything. You see, heroin comes first before everything, or you get very sick without it. You have to have it first thing in the morning before you go to bed and even between everything you do. It was like a warm blanket of comfort and safety. I ended up isolating uh, from everything and everyone I love. Dell and I also ended up using heroin together. We were killing ourselves slowly. We were killing each other. Something had to change before heroin killed us both. We lost our tattoo shop, lost our home, our car. We lost everything. We lost ourselves. We lost our spirituality. We lost our faith, our religion. We were broke, spiritually broken, spiritually bankrupt, dying both physically and spiritually. God had a plan for us both. I became pregnant with our beautiful son, Colbrin. You see, I hadn't planned on ever getting pregnant again. God had a different opinion on that. However, wait, I was strung out on heroin. I can't have a baby. No way, God. I can't go through the pain of losing another child or baby. I got down on my hands and knees and prayed for Jesus to forgive me, to help, please. Please give me another chance. You see, God never left me. I had turned my back on him. He was always there waiting for me as a father saying, Daughter, when are you come, going to come home? I'm waiting for you. I miss you, my daughter. I love you. No matter what you have done, come back to me. I've been attending Awakening for the past few months, and I'm very happy. I've rededicated my life to the Lord. I've chosen to pick up my mat and walk with Jesus. 
You see, I'm no longer a victim of Satan's way. I've reclaimed my life. I've been forgiven. My sins have been scattered as far as the west is from the east. I've claimed my throne next to my father's in the kingdom, and I truly believe this. The chains have been removed from my hands. The blinders are gone, and I've been given a second chance at a first-class life through Jesus. I'm ten and a half months clean and sober now. I fear nothing no more. I fear no one anymore. He's waiting on me. He was waiting on me silently. The Lord raised me up from the ground. I had been there far too long. He makes my heart want to serve him. I'm no longer stuck. I thank God that I'm breathing. I thank him for my miracle, my son, my light through the haze. Lord, I come before you and before this community to serve you, Lord, from this day forth and the rest of my life to raise my son in your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Um, can, first of all, can we just thank Sarah for sharing that? That's, that's so powerful. For the Son of Man... Jesus' white hot why to seek and save the lost. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to give the rest of my days to that end. I want to leverage my life in such a way, the the limited time and skills and gifts that he's given me to introduce others who think they don't have a shot with God, who think God could never love them, who think, man, there's no way I deserve life or hope or peace, and yet they have a pursuing God who's been running after them, and we are his hands and feet. That's what my white hot why is. My, uh, we were in this church in Chicago, and our pastor used to say this, life is short, eternity's long, so let's live like it. Life is short. Teach us, O oh Lord, to number our days aright. Eternity's long, so let's live like it. The other day, my wife and I were talking about that phrase because it so sticks with us that we feel this urgency for a city, for our neighbors. She looked at me and she just said, you know, Ryan, when I get to heaven, I want to be out of breath. I love that. When when I get to heaven, I, I want to have left it all on the field. I want to make sure that when I get there, that I come running the race he's marked out for me. Because, by the way, the why is constant. The what is different for every single one of us by your unique gifts and abilities. But I, but I want to make sure the race he marked out for me, I ran and I exhausted all the resources that I left everything on the field. I don't want to show up and stand before God with the one life I was given and say I wasted it. I want to go and enter heaven out of breath. And I want to invite you this morning. For some, 
you were simply in a place where you had no idea you had a pursuing God and you didn't feel like you deserved to even know God. And in this moment, all you have to do is cry out to Jesus and he responds every time. And just cry out to him and he will respond to you. He will meet you and he will change you. He will transform you and he'll bring peace and hope and life. And for others, I'm, I'm going to invite everyone to take communion this morning to remember the, exactly what Jesus has done. But would you say, okay, God, today I want to live out my white hot why. I want to enter heaven out of breath. And you just simply start that conversation and God will speak to you and he will show you the next steps to take.